I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Joseph Finn. And we love to watch. We love to watch the best movies from last year. Joseph. Hey guys. Hey team. How you guys doing? Pretty good, Joseph. Long time no talk to. Uh, it's been about four months since you guessed it for time number five for our Firefox episode. I'm still recovering from the beating I took on that. <laughs> good. Uh, well, hey guys. Welcome to fucking 2018. We love to watch. Peter, if you can believe this, this is our third calendar year in operation. That's insane it's absolutely absolutely insane insane. i did not think we were gonna make it this long i didn't either uh and on top of that this is our first annual recurring segment we we did this last year with joseph uh it was supposed to be a segment before uh black christmas uh when he guessed it on that and it ended up being uh about an hour and a half long and uh turned into its own episode and we're like we should we should expand this a little bit so that we're not feeling rushed to be able to talk about the movies because it's an opening segment and uh, do it again and have have kind of Joseph as our annual annual guest. And here we are doing exactly that. Technically, it's 2018. We're recording this in 2017. We got to set this up again, though. So, you know, some movie critics like to do this thing. We're like in December. They're like, you know what? It's I I've watched eleven months of movies. I'm ready to rank every single fucking one of them. And you know what, Peter? I think you you and I we actually take some time. We let the movies sink in. We let them digest a little. We let them ferment. Let them ferment. We t- like we a make nice them, kimchi. <laughs> we make them alcoholic, ideally. <laughs> in some uh, in some cases, we let them fester. With yeah. a fester, we oh. don't. Yeah, it smells. Pretty bad after a while. <laughs> I mean, there's bacteria that is growing. There's mold on it. Is everyone wearing their We Love to Watch uh, clothespins on their nose? Yeah. Oh, oh, I got the whole We Love to Watch branded hazmat suit. <laughs> I'm sorry, hazmat suit? Hazmat. Ha- ha- <laughs> you know what? My One of my vowels changed tone. So 2018 is not going to be the year I pronounce things correctly. Um <laughs> But, uh, I mean, maybe, again, recorded in 2017, so I got a week to figure this shit out. Uh, So, yeah, we we actually care enough about movies to wait an entire year to let everything silk in so that we can actually present you a definitive best of 2016. Now, that pause is where, hopefully, you at home listening to this are like, Getting a fucking calling the trophy people up and sending us our award. <laughs> where the fuck is your audible? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Where, where is your Audi award? Yeah, where's our Audi? <laughs> like, we do this for you. Sure, we could get big ratings 
and appear in the conversation when literally everyone else is having it. But we don't do that because we care about movies. You could even say we love to watch. I think that this is uh, in many ways uh, a consolation to people that live in maybe rural areas and don't have like an awesome theater that plays everything you want near it, especially yeah. these, like foreign and art house movies. Yeah. Uh, There's also a consolation to uh, dads uh, like Aaron, who can't necessarily get out to the theater all the time because yeah. children around. Uh, yeah. um, so I, I took sort of- I took my kid to, to Moonlight eight times. It was fr- <laughs> she was not into it. And I think she's a homophobe. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely it. Yeah, um, we're, we're having she- a lot of conversations about her react. Like you're crying in the middle of this scene. You monster. <laughs> Dad, it's so boring. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, you got to go potty again? No popcorn. I dump it out. Uh, once again, the, the real reason is that, yeah, we're not professional film critics, as anyone who listens to this show could deduce. You know, it takes us a while to get to see uh, all the movies. And, you know, I'm sure there's there's still some we're on my watch FX. list. We don't have the movies, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're... We're TBS. We know characters. Characters are welcome, USA. Characters are welcome, I would say. Uh, What's the TBS one? We've got the New Yorker getting a New York slice. Do you remember Slugfest Guy? (laughs) We've got Slugfest Guy. Slugfest Guy. (laughs) He might be back next year. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, so, yeah. End of the list. That's the end of the list. That's all of our impressions. Uh, so, Aaron, uh, Aaron, Aaron, yeah. are there other impressions? Not, no, I don't. I don't think. I mean, there's Whisper Guys. Do you think Whisper Guys jo- count as jo- a- Joseph? You listen to a lot of our episodes. Do, do you know of any other impressions we do? Uh, jeez. Uh, um, oh, oof. Joseph, uh, Joseph, um, Joseph. Why are you I'm whispering failing. so loud? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a very bad whisperer. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is literally this is literally the worst whispering I've ever heard in my entire life. Joseph, this is an intervention for how bad you are. Listen, whispering. <laughs> Whisper better. Uh, so another character we have is um, oh the guy that made the guest. <laughs> yeah, that's a great character. That that guy appears on every episode with a guest. Um, some might say then, some might say every moment of the episodes. Yeah, every moment of the episode, and uh, I think a new character: the guys that really don't care for bad whispering. <laughs> Uh, so anyways, so we're going to get started. Uh, so unlike last year, uh, because we have a, a little more time, we're not going to try to rush through immediately to the top 10. Uh, we're going to start with a couple other things. We're going to do some special mentions of movies that didn't make our top 10 or top 15. Special mentions. Yeah, spe- yeah, let's call it special mentions. <laughs> special mentions. Let's not. All right. So definitely we're going to call it special mentions. Uh, um, so we'll do special mentions. Uh, and then we'll do uh, on mens, on menchies, which are honorable mentions. Yep. Uh, and then we'll do uh, we'll do the worst movie, the, the movie. We don't want to end on a negative note. I know a lot of, uh, a lot of podcasts, a lot of lists end with the worst movies uh, of the year. We're going to do that uh, first. The and then we're going to get into our top 10. So, so actually, why don't we quickly start there? So, is there any movies, just so people kind of know what you're working with, that you did not get a chance to see that you wish you had? So, I, I have a couple I really wish I had seen. Camera Person, Lemonade, uh, A Monster Calls, 
uh, Cemetery of Splendor, Right Here, Wrong Then, and Certain Women. I feel like I did watch a lot. I liked a lot, but those movies specifically, I really wish I'd got a chance to see. Yeah, I uh, a few of those movies uh, I haven't seen. Um, the two notable ones, though, that I regret purely as a competence thing, like so I can be in the conversation, is uh, Loving. Uh, I missed Loving. Didn't have time to watch that still. Uh, and I love, love the work of the director. So I... Don't really know why I didn't get to it. Uh, and then the other one is La La Land. I still have not seen La La Land. Joseph, what did you not get a chance to see? Uh, looking at 2016 on Letterboxd list, uh, let's see. I still haven't gotten to Lion, which I wanted to see. I still haven't gotten to see Silence, which I feel really bad about thinking about it. Like just, I rated Silence pretty high, so yeah, I'll, I'll talk about that in a little bit, but yeah, I really liked Silence. Uh, I still haven't seen Patterson, which I feel terrible about. I love Jarmusch, I just haven't gotten to it. Uh, and my one major one left is uh, Tony Erdman, I still haven't gotten to. I, I watched that as a catch-up one. Uh, it's not going to make my list, but it's in the 20s. Alrighty. It's pretty good. Uh, so yeah, let's get started with some special mentions. So these are these are not necessarily number sixteen or seventeen on your list. These are movies that you loved, you uh, that you want to call out, you want to draw attention to. Uh, you feel like you know one of the great things about these kind of uh, you know top ten list, top fifteen list, that kind of stuff is hopefully to give recommendations to people to people listening. So. You know, this is kind of th- this is your chance to stump, to do a little standing for something that may not be in your top uh, twenty or thirty or whatever else, but just something that you want people to see. Uh, so I'm going to start already with a major cheat, uh, in that I'm going to uh, lump my two special mentions. It's actually four movies in two categories. So uh, the first the first category is documentaries. Two of my favorite documentaries that uh, that that came out this year. Uh, my favorite is on my top ten. But the next two are like, I think like 19 and 27 respectively. And they are just, you know, in a, in a lesser year, they would have made my top 15, but they are just immensely powerful. Um, uh, and those are the 13th and Tower. 13th is the Ava DuVarney movie about the 13th Amendment and how it left off a uh, – basically it says that you can basically have slaves. You can't have slaves in this country except for uh, prison labor. Uh, which kind of and then talks about the prison industrial complex and how the laws that uh, fill up the prisons are targeted against African-Americans in this country. Uh, and then Tower, which is an animated reenactment of the the shooting at Dallas at the uh, the campus tower. And both are I think if any category of movie tends to be a gut punch, it's documentaries because you're talking about real people. And a lot of times documentaries tend to tend to cover either issues or events that are either anger-inducing or tragedies because obviously those are things that people want to know about or issues that people want to learn about. And these two are just – I don't know. Have you guys seen either of uh, 13th or Tower? I've seen uh, 13th. Uh, Joseph's a big fan of Tower, right? That's correct. I have seen Tower. I have not seen 13th, so I have nothing to say on that one. It's just eternally been on my list to a day where I'm actually, you know, in a mood for it, which is a terrible thing to say about a very important it, subject. It's true because it's – I mean, it's going to get you angry. And even – I mean, probably most of us at this point are, are angry about uh, race in this country every day uh, and the injustice is done and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And this, this really – really, really underlines that you should be way angrier than you are. 
uh, no matter no matter what that level is. Uh, and Ava DuVarney is so such a good director of uh, narrative films, uh, and she she does a great job on uh, on the documentary uh, here yeah. as well. Uh, so the next thing is horror movies. Um, I have some horror movies on my list, but there are, uh, you know, on brand for this podcast, there are uh, two horror movies that I've watched multiple times. I stump from all the time. They just did not make my top 15, but highly, highly recommended. Uh, and those are The Wailing, uh, which is this amazing three hour uh, Korean horror movie. Uh, where the three hours just flies by uh, and has all these wonderful twists and turns. And then The Eyes of My Mother, which is this kind of uh, someone, I forget who, some genius on Letterboxd uh, called it Bergman's version of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I, I think that's a perfect, perfect <laughs> description of that movie. Yeah, yes. So <laughs> I have both those movies uh, in my list somewhere, uh, actually. So uh, we'll get to them. We'll get to them later. But yeah, that's that's the Bergman versus Bergman versus Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a perfectly succinct version of what Eyes of My Mother is. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, Joseph, what are some special mentions that you want to call out? Uh, yeah, i Get your special I'll note that Eyes is not on either, any of my list, but I'll also say, yeah, that's very much worth seeing. Uh, my two notables, uh, when I ended up putting them up, I'm like, wow, these are actually somewhat different sides of the same coin, though they're completely, weirdly different movies. The first one is Eye in the Sky, uh, Gavin Hood's uh, <laughs> best movie since he won the Oscar for Satsi back in, ooh, I don't know, 2005, the foreign language Oscar, fantastic South African film. This one is a movie that came out, I feel like it was a January release, maybe? It's basically about drone warfare in the Middle East, as these various groups involved in the drone warfare warfare chain of command the generals the secret service uh, the secret forces people the guys who are piloting piloting the drones are all debating whether to go for a kill no kill mission which sounds kind of like okay that's really simple but this is a really solid movie with a cast we're talking helen mirren we're talking alan rickman's last movie it's aaron paul's best work since breaking bad he is fantastic as one of the drone pilots it's a really well done movie that gets into what do you do in drone warfare where it's basically you're removed from a thousand miles away but you can see from like 20 feet away with the cameras it's it's fantastic. I'm uh, glad we're not getting too deep into special mentions on discussion. So I won't say any more except that it is my second worst movie of 2016. Okay. I hate <laughs> uh, Joe, go on. <laughs> okay. Uh, my other movie is from the other side of being bombed. It's Under the Shadow, an Iranian language, oh, uh, Persian yeah. language film that is about a uh, mother and daughter. Her husband is a doctor who's just been called up. This takes place during the Iranian-Iraqi uh, War of 81, if I remember right. And uh, her husband's been sent up to the front lines. She is dealing with her daughter. Also, the Cultural Revolution is going on. And suddenly a missile falls into their apartment building. But it doesn't blow it up, blow up, so it's just this thing that is sitting in one of the uh, apartments in their building. Meanwhile, a ghost shows up. I really yep. don't want to say more about this, but it's absolutely worth seeing. It's a fantastic performance by uh, Narges Rashidi, as close as I can get to her name, as the mother. And it has one of the most unique-looking ghosts I've ever seen in a movie. Yep. No, it's not on my list. It's in the 30s, but yeah, love that movie. Great, special Menchie. PD, what is your special menchie? 
Thank you. Um, <laughs> my special menchies are two horror movies. Uh, the first one is Blair Witch, Adam Wingard's oh, yeah. very controversial. So it's not my my thing has always been to defend movies that I think are like a solid three or four star movie. I yep. rarely I rarely go like gung ho for a movie and. It, like this and i'm like well yeah it's a five out of five obviously i'm always defending movies that people are saying are one stars and i'm like excuse me sir that's a three and a half um you can't top the original in terms of like a subversive effect and trying to would have been folly as a narrative feature maybe they could have done something weird as like a youtube project there's no way they could have done what they did with the original blair witch it was such a singular event so i love the idea that they had this movie that's just like kind of a straight ahead, really functional, really scary, very, very scary uh, yeah. horror movie. And I, I was a big fan. I was a fan of it. Yeah, I gave it three and a half, too. Uh, I really liked it. Uh, Adam Wingard has not made a bad movie that I've seen yet. Uh, that includes Death Note haters. Uh, <laughs> I, I also I also like Death Note. I, it's, it's, that, that one is like a three and a half. That's a three and a half, too. Yeah, it's yeah. good. Um, yeah. So uh, and uh, what was your other one, Peter? And then my other one is Neon Demon. So that's another very controversial movie. And I think they both fit well as special mentions because I um, Neon Demon was is one of the most singular horror movie experiences I've had in a theater ever. Um, I've yeah. never felt closer to vomiting while watching a movie. Didn't you not to not to blow up your spot? Didn't you see it drunk? The first time in theaters, uh, I did. I did see it pretty drunk in theaters, <laughs> okay. but I also saw it again. I also saw it again in theaters. No, I know, I, I know. I saw, it, I saw it twice in theaters. The first time I was uh, pretty drunk, but it was uh, a friend of mine, Ryan Boland. Uh, his friend of the wish sh- was hey, to hey, have a pr- friend of the show, friend Peter. of the show. Ryan decided that his birthday party was: we all go have a party, we eat a bunch of food, we get drunk, we eat pizza, and then at, like, midnight, we go see a movie. So that was how he chose to spend his birthday, was all of us watching this, like, grim, awful movie. And it is still one of my favorite theatrical experiences ever, because, like, people got up and walked out. Luckily, it's a music box, so people get up and walk out quietly. They're not like, ah, fucking movie, you're you're degenerates. But people get up and walk out. People were laughing. People were, like, crying and covering their face in certain parts. Parts, and it is a movie that is like boring and then really enticing as a cinematic experience it's so singular in a way that i will never forget all right well we're gonna move on to our uh ani menchies uh, uh so these are these are 11 through 15 we're just gonna we're gonna go through them individually we're not gonna kind of do the rotating discussion but these are the ones that were close but didn't quite make that top 10. So mine are in uh, ascending order. Uh, Number 15 is Swiss Army Man, which I uh, have seen. I saw in theaters. I saw it two times since then. I I fucking love this movie so much. Um, Love it. And it really works for me because it is, once I realized what was going on, that it was like not a cute Gondry-esque movie, but a indictment of those characters of of that are in Gondry-esque uh, too cute twee indie movies. And I was just like, oh, my everything makes sense. Everything fits really well. And that really uh, holds up, I think, on repeat viewings as well. So, so it's really good. Uh, number 14 is The Lobster. Dogtooth is one of my top 50 movies of all time. I think The Lobster is... Uh, 
Uh, I, th- I thought Alps was pretty good, but I think the lobster really returns to that kind of uh, magic that uh, that the dire- that only the director can make. And as you can tell, I'm dancing around his name because I don't even want to try. But if I had to throw <laughs> Wait, a guess out there. Aaron, please go for so it. So I, I don't even have it in front of me. So I don't want to. I've never tried to say it, but I think his first name is Yorgos. It's Yorgos Lanthimos. It's not that bad. I can say it, Yorgos Lanthimos. Yorgos but Lanthimos? I wasn't. Lanthimos? Lanthimos. I didn't want to have to do it from memory, but uh, I really love the lobster. Uh, first half, second half. It's it's so good. Uh, number 13, uh, a really tough bump off. It was on my top 10 for most of the year. Uh, Midnight Special, uh, which is like this amazing Amblin era Steven Spielberg movie with a great Michael Shannon performance and uh, just a, an ending that is both perfect for the movie and one I was not expecting. Uh, Sing Street, which is one of my f- number twelve, is Sing Street, uh, which is one of my favorite musicals of the last last few years. When I was listening to the soundtrack and in just this like joyful fist pump of a movie, and then number eleven is one of the first movies we ever did on this podcast, which is High Rise, which is a movie I uh, I still love. I think it's like a great Kubrickian, um, I don't know, like uh, side future apocalyptic. F- Future, not really future, just like alternate reality, uh, with uh, great descent into chaos and and some comments on like uh, class that I find uh, find very appealing. So those are my Ani Menchies. Good choices, all. Yeah, uh, my Ani Menchies. Okay, I'll say it. Fine. Oh yeah, yeah, we, broke, we, broke we did it. Who, who, who? Oh, you bastards. <laughs> number number 15, Christine, the movie about uh, Christine, uh, the news report. I, I can't oh, remember yeah. her last name. Uh, the news with reporter, Rebecca Hall, right? Uh, yes, the one with Rebecca Hall, set in 1974, Sarasota, Florida, which is about the months and weeks leading up to her, well, it's not a spoiler, uh, committing suicide during a live news broadcast. And it's, I think it's a really interesting movie, and it's a fantastic Rebecca Hall performance. I couldn't quite put it in my top 10 for 2016. But man, it's it's really really freaking good. Uh, then my next one is uh, what number fourteen? Uh, my first documentary in the list: The Witness, about the brother of Kitty Genovese going back and uh, going through what we know about her death now. Sorry, do you guys know who Kitty Genovese is? I, I haven't even heard yes. of this movie. Okay, Kitty Genovese uh, was a nurse who in 1970s New York, uh, late 60s, I forget exactly when, uh, was murdered um, and semi-urban myth grew up that she had been murdered in front of 38 witnesses looking out of their apartment windows or walking down the street and that they had just essentially done nothing. Um which which led to what's now called the bystander effect. The thing is, it's all bullshit. Uh, next up in my list, uh, at number 13, I've got Swiss Army Man, which oh. uh, is great for all the reasons you've already said. I don't think I need to go too much further into it, except that uh, Dano and Radcliffe, just two fantastic performances. Oh, yeah. So good. Uh, next up, number 12. Uh, now we're getting to the movies I really wish I could have fit in my top 10, because now we're talking Hell or High Water. Because, God, Hell or High Water, that is just a great movie about economic anxiety and brotherhood and trying to do the right thing for by your family, but you're doing the absolute wrong thing, and it's just and it's a fantastic. modern Western. And it's a modern it, Western. It, 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 it's, you call it a Western? Everything. 
Yeah, it's it's a modern mustard for sure, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's just, just a dumb joke. <laughs> Sorry. I, I'm like so – sometimes when we're uh, we're in the show and we're in like enthusiasm mode, I don't catch Aaron making sarcastic jokes. Um, but You yes. remember that contract you made me sign that I had to say a joke every two minutes? <laughs> we all yeah. remember that contract. Yeah, yeah. Like, hey, hey, these, uh, these pork buns and sake Signed are really good. But speaking of that, you need to sign this contract in blood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, my number 11 is another documentary, Camera Person, Kirsten Johnston, who's a, been a cinematographer for about 40, 30, 40 years, I believe, basically taking footage that she has shot over her career and forming a narrative about her career and her life. It's kind, it's not a freeform thing, obviously, because she knows what the hell she's doing with her choice of shots, but it feels freeform, almost a, um, uh, almost a poem about it. I'm not going to say tone poem. I am not going to say that. It, uh, it oh, almost feels like I love saying po- tone poem. Oh. I love saying it. It makes people so uncomfortable, but it's so, yes. it works so well. But it's a really interesting, good movie about her life through her work, but also getting into her personal life and some really interesting stuff about what she goes through as she's also an extremely good uh, cinematographer and filmmaker. It's really, really worth your time. This camera person, one word, Kirsten Johnson. And that is my top 15. My honey Minchies. <laughs> Thank you so much, Joseph, on so many fronts. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> Peter, your turn. What are your honey Minchies? <laughs> so, my number 15. Now, Joseph, I think you like it too much. Can you, can you calm it down a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> so, my number 15 was a big surprise to me, Kubo and the Two Strings. Um, uh, yeah. oh, not generally an animation person. Uh, however... Uh, You're more of like a still life. I'm more of a still life. Yeah, um, that's why in uh, 19 you're not your your uh, best best movies of 1945. You had drawing of pear. <laughs> <laughs> Big fan of drawing of pear. I watch it for exactly 90 minutes while listening <laughs> to uh, you know like a Chopin. It's like a movie. Oh, it's that better than great. a movie, I think. Actually. Uh, Kubo and the Two Strings is my number 15. Big surprise to me because I'm not actually – generally, I don't fall in love with animation in the, in this sense. I usually can admire it in a technical sense. Just a really amazing coming-of-age story matched yep. with a revenge tale. And it, it, the animation has such an organic quality. Uh, number 14, Eyes of My Mother. Uh Bergman as Texas Chainsaw Massacre perfectly sums it up. I don't want to say much more about it except for I watch a lot of horror and when a horror movie can truly surprise me in terms of its style and its approach, uh, I, I recommend it. And I recommend this movie very highly. Uh, number 13 is The Wailing. Uh, Aaron got into it, and it's <laughs> not really one movie. It's it's not an anthology yeah. movie, but it feels almost like an anthology movie where it starts off like about bumbling cops and a, and a small town murder. Yeah. And it gradually turns into a different movie and then a different movie. And like it's almost like... A, not a zombie movie, but it has, like, people raised from the dead and, like, demons and shit by the end. That's all I'll say on it. Just fucking it's, watch it. It's gorgeous, too. Uh, it hey, that's, a, that's on Netflix now. I'm adding that yep. to my list. Yes. I. It's very long. You'd but... like it, Pete. Yeah, you, Joseph, you'd love it. It's yeah, really long. I would also like it. Uh, <laughs> that's why it's my number 13. Uh, number 12 is, is 10 Cloverfield Lane. Uh, nice. Oh, yeah. Another... Just like Hell or High Water, it's a movie that's just, like, in my fucking wheelhouse. I've got a huge appreciation for John Goodman. He feels like this weird drunk uncle that, like, every few years I'm like, 
you know what? You're doing all right. Good, good on you, man. Like he's finally like finding all these amazing roles after his time in the wilderness and against Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who is like yep. 10 Cloverfield Lane is basically a bottle movie with those two. And then uh, one other actor, which is very good. And I won't really get into that either. Uh, yeah. Number 11, Train to Busan, which is the best zombie movie since 28 Days Later. Hell yeah. It's the I, only, I, it's I, actually the best zombie thing since 28 Days Later. I'll even throw, I like Dying Light in a couple of video games as well, but like, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so that's that was number your number eleven, right, Peter? That was my number eleven. All right. We're done with Ani Menchies. We're moving on to Haiti Terribleies. Hell yeah! Worst <laughs> movie of 2016. This one was easy for me. I'm just gonna I'll I'll rip the bandaid off. It's Suicide Squad, uh, wow. which I almost which I almost feel bad saying, and I don't feel bad saying because it's not the worst movie. It is terrible. There is nothing redeeming about this movie i not, hated it not even but, in my bottom 10 oh my god it is just a piece of garbage so here's why i feel bad is because i feel like these dc movies get a lot of shit but like they get a lot of shit because they're not as good as the marvel marvel movies they're like and they should be better they they should like except for wonder Man, woman which is amazing wonder woman is amazing wonder uh, woman but, is better than like half the marvel movies yeah yeah, exactly. And but like Man of Steel was like, okay, fine, it's three out of five. Batman versus Superman, it's three out of five. And and those movies get like the amount of hate. I, I think they're it's overblown. People are just like Batman versus Superman is the worst thing that's ever happened. It's like, oh, you know what? It wasn't great, but Wonder Woman's good in it. I kinda like the Doomsday stuff. Uh Henry K Henry Cavill is a good uh Clark Kent, he's a good Superman. Um, I agree too. We should do this movie on the show. Yeah. So, I mean, I, there's a lot to like while saying it's overlong and Zack Snyder has gone a little, way too far up of his own ass. It's trying to force the Marvel uh, cohesion of like, it's a connected universe way too quickly, but it has, it has some good stuff. So, sure. So I, I just think the hate for, for Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman was so vocal and overblown that it, it makes me feel bad in the sense that I think Suicide Squad got the same thing, but in this case, I agree 1,000%. It was boring. The action was terrible. It it was dark. It was – and the trailer kind of had me excited. You know, they, the the musical cues were a little Guardians of the Galaxy, but whatever. Like, I like Guardians of the Galaxy. If you want to rip off one of the better space operas I've seen in a long time, you go right fucking ahead. <laughs> you know? It's a good place to steal from. And every character is terrible. Uh, the Joker's terrible. You know, even the, the good actors that are like – relegated to this movie are terrible in it and you know there's a couple of very good actors in this movie but i i can't even say like well sure the movie was bad but harley quinn's portrayal was done well it's like no it wasn't it's all garbage it's garbage all the way down even amanda waller is just it's one note and it's boring and i fucking hate this movie it is the worst movie of 2016 I want to pick up the baton there because uh, it's my turn to go for the worst. I'm going to say Suicide Squad, and I kind of liked it. I mean, it wasn't incredibly terrible. It certainly wasn't in my uh, worst ten of the year. I mean, it's ahead of things like London is Fallen, Batman v Superman, Mike and Dave need wedding dates. Army Mike, of One. Mike and Dave. Mike and Dave need wedding dates. I gave four stars to that movie's hilarious. It's not a good movie, but I laughed out loud throughout. Gods of Egypt. 
Independence Day Resurgence. Yeah, that's urge. that's bad. However, no, not urge. Fuck you, no. My, my <laughs> I'll tell you what. In, Independence Day Resurgence is in my bottom three. It's Eye in the Sky, Independence Day Resurgence, and Suicide Squad. Batman the Killing Joke. <sighs> oh, I, I didn't see it. God. Anyway, I, but I heard my about worst it. movie of 2016, The Fifth Wave. This movie, it's the epitome of bad. Let's cash in on the YA apocalypse <laughs> adaptation craze and just make it bad. You think the Maze Runner movies are bad? This is just incredibly, offensively dull, wasting good actors, boring the absolute living shit out of me. How do you make aliens invading Earth this boring? I don't understand it. It's so bad that there's no plans for other sequels. I have bad movies in this list that there are going to be other sequels. They're still talking about making another Allegiant movie. I have that in my, in my bottom of the list. And they're still talking about doing another TV movie of that. Fifth Wave is not having another movie. And there's a damn good reason why it sucks. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there, there's not that many five calls that are very good. You got, like, Fast Five. So, <laughs> you know, I just – I'm not surprised that this one didn't, uh, didn't turn out that well. I, I agree. I think it's a good idea to end the series at five. <laughs> Way to pull me out of my tails! <laughs> Way to pull me out of my tailspin, <laughs> uh, Peter. I'm actually curious because I don't know the answer. What is what's your worst movie of 2016? So I rarely hate movies. I do yeah. out a lot of twos and threes. I give out a lot of twos, which to me a two out of five means like there's promise there, but it's not a movie. It's not a successful movie. And threes are like. It passes the sniff test. Like, it's a movie, but it's just something I'll I didn't waste forget. my time, but I'm not going to watch it again. Yes. Very few yeah. threes out of fives or, or, or anything that's going to get me excited. Um, my actual worst is something that offended me. Like, offended me on a deep level and made me angry. Uh, and it was Lights Out. Yeah. Lights Out is a movie that I think a lot of movies try and take horror as what it should be. Which horror ideally works really well as, like... There's a monster, there's a creature, there's a threat, there's something terrifying out there or within yourself that you're trying to fight against or escape from, and uh, it can stand for society's ills. I really like the Rod Serling model of horror. Lights Out is a movie that is about depression, and all of its implications for depression are, to me as somebody who's struggled with it in my Past and present. Horrifically offensive. Yeah. No, it is a huge piece of garbage. And it was a movie that I watched and I'm like, that wasn't very good. And then I sat and I thought about what it was saying for five minutes. And I'm like, wait a second. Fuck this movie so hard. And then I'm like, I went and looked online. I'm like, wait, did I get the message of this movie right? And yep. Uh, Peter, do you want to explain what the message of the movie? Because no one here should fucking see this movie. Peter, what's Lights the message? Out is a movie about Lights Out is a movie about how when you're, it starts off okay. It's saying when you're depressed, you are a burden on your family. Uh, when you have severe depression, uh, that's that's fine. 
As the movie develops, you slowly realize that the movie is going to say that those that are depressed are a burden and it's their fault and they should extricate themselves through the movie. And then the movie sees suicide as a heroic act because yep. the person is now relieving the rest of their family of that burden. Yep. What? The end of the movie. The end of the movie is that if you are depressed, your family would be better off if you kill yourself. And I am someone who usually, like, even if a movie has a shitty message, like, in, in these genre picks, I'm like, oh, well, at least it was a scary movie, but, like, whatever. This is something that's so fucking offensive to me on, like, yeah. a primal level and also is a shitty horror movie. It is It's not- a bad, yeah. It's a bad the short movie. It's actually pretty good. The short that it's based on is pretty yeah. good because it's kind of just a conceptual little piece about, like, the monster that lurks in the dark. But it is such an offensive fucking movie and it made me yeah. so mad that it was yeah. like getting touted as like oh this is like this is like one of the good ones all right uh change of tracks do you guys want to talk about your top 10 movies of 2016 fuck yes I fucked your girl with the baby inside And then that baby had a baby with rabies and didn't survive Think that's disgusting, peep this booger right picks And if you think that's sick, check this water on my dick Hey yo, I'm kidding girl, of course I am I got a lot of dichotomy, and I think I need a lobotomy Smoke more keys than a board, still more board than the game that's lame Blah blah rap 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 rap, you get it, you get it, everybody gets it all right, we're going to get into it. Uh, enough beating around the bush. Uh, top 10 2016. We're going to rotate back and forth. Uh, and I'm going to start with my number 10 movie of 2016. A little movie called Moana. First off, this is by far the movie I've watched the most that was released in 2016. I've probably seen it 15 times. It was the first movie my daughter saw in theaters, and she loves it. Uh, but I, she loves it for because it's a, it's a really, really, really good movie, and as I kept watching it, I never got sick of it, and it kept actually creeping up my list, and the songs now that I've listened to now for you know over a year, I still listen to. I still love hearing uh, "Shiny" and "You're Welcome" and the other Lin Manuel Miranda songs. And I love um, when you name any Disney soundtrack because it sounds like you're just making up songs and like, like yeah, and like uh, on the beach and like having good times and freaky flyers <laughs> and surfing up. Have, let me ask you: Have you heard any of the Moana songs, Peter? No, no, I haven't. Okay, no, I mean they are. I would say they are the catchiest Disney songs. Um, since uh since like Aladdin and I think it even surpasses that. They are they're like really good songs. My nieces are uh, obsessed with that movie. It actually, you know, I, I had said at one point, like, man, if if my daughter was gonna identify with a Disney character or a Disney quote unquote princess uh type character, Moana's the best one because first of all they make a joke that she's not a princess and there's there's she's strong and she's independent and she has a lot to learn. 
but there's not like a love story in there. It really is uh, in some ways even a parody of certain Disney elements. And it's, it's The Rock is great. Uh, the person who plays Moana, I f- I'm forgetting her name, but it was her first movie. She's just absolutely fantastic. You know, it's it's a movie I still am like, hey, let's watch Moana <laughs> over Boss Baby or Trolls or something shitty like that. It's a really, really good movie, and I have yet to get sick of it. If I can watch a movie six, 15, 16 times in a year and still be excited to watch it and excited when I hear the songs, I mean, that is saying that it is a classic. I honestly believe that uh, I think it goes toe-to-toe with Wreck-It Ralph for, like, the best non-Pixar Disney movie of the last 10 years. Totally agreed. It's in my top 20. I, um, I'm i a sucker for exploration stories. And away we go. I honestly, oh, I, yeah. I just started crying in the theater during that song. Because yeah. I'm like, oh, oh God. The, this and, is- the, and the reprise, too? Yes. That's where it got me in the theater. Like, when they do the reprise at the end, I was, I still will listen to it sometimes driving with my daughter and have to be like, okay, don't cry. I'm, you're dry. You got to pay attention to the road. You got your kid in the back. Joseph, your number 10. My number 10 is another movie set on an island out in the Pacific where a young person learns about themselves and on, on a journey. However, it's so vastly different. It's Hunt for the Wilder People. Check out what TD's movie about Ricky, a defined city kid who goes and gets set out on a foster farm in the middle of New Zealand. And his foster father, uh, Sam Neill, and his mother, blanking on the actress's name, they end up being chased out into the bush by the police and the family services people. And I loved every second of this movie. It's such a great movie about finding your own family. And about the particularness of New Zealand. I think in America we tend to cram New Zealand and Australia together, but they're very distinct, but in ways that we don't always get. And I feel this movie kind of got it across yeah. the, what New Zealand's sense of humor is like. And I love it for that. And it's just a really good, funny, and also very heartfelt movie. I was kind of surprised it's, at how choked everything. up I was getting. Yeah. Yeah. It's everything. It's, 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 it's it's so damn good. It scratches de- the it, it weirdly enough for not being an American movie. It scratches the stand by me itch of watching um, children on adventures, or at least a child on adventures. Yeah, where you get yeah. to see his unique perspective on the world, and like a kid kind of getting to play at being a grown up. Like that is an itch that I need scratched once a year. I don't know why it's not in my top 10, but it's not. I no idea why it's not in there. That's a huge oversight on my part. Yeah, it, it'll it'll show up on mine later. Uh, it is, yeah, to, to echo what you said, uh, yeah, Alan Grant, Sam Neill himself is just uh, a fantastic grump in this movie. Uh, yeah, and it, it got me pretty good. I, you know, I'm looking over my list as a whole, and I feel like at least – at least half of these movies made me cry at some point. Uh, and and Wilder People is definitely on that list. I'm so jealous, Aaron. I know, Peter. Yeah. Uh, all right, Peter, you're number 10. This is a movie that Aaron made me watch. Popstar. Oh, Hell Popstar. yeah. Popstar never stop, is... never stop stopping. Never stop stopping. Never stop, never stopping. So, never stop, so never stopping. We have a thing where, like, comedy is kind of on all fronts. You can do comedy super cheap, and you can do comedy on TV now, and you do comedy on, like, these, like, streaming services. But, like, 
people for some reason forget that like every few years we get a great fucking comedy. We get a Walk Hard or a Step Brothers or whatever. Like we get these great comedies every few years. And Popstar I put in the same category as all of the classics of the past 20 years, the classic comedies. Through and through. I was crying through like half of it. I can't say much about it without like blowing any bits, but it doesn't matter if you know anything about Justin Bieber. It doesn't matter if you really give a shit about pop culture that much. It doesn't give a shit. It doesn't really matter if you know much about modern pop music. It's like truly just. It like, does. It does help if you know one Macklemore song. <laughs> because that is the funniest. The funniest song in the movie is based off of whatever "Same Love" or whatever that awful yeah. Macklemore song yeah. is. Like, yeah. It, I don't even say awful. It, it's a uh, nice try song. You know, you're like, well, it's, it's your a- heart was in the right place, but like, mm, we don't need this. Well, and this movie really, t- like, really, if I think you could say it was a nice try until hearing Equal Rights, which is their take on that type of song, <laughs> because then it's like, oh, yeah, fuck you, Macklemore. That is what you were doing. Because <laughs> one thing that Lonely Island is so good at is not doing real parodies, but taking, like, an element of pop music and blowing it up. So, like, that Macklemore song is a great example where he, like, uh, talks about how uh, everyone should have equal equal rights and be able to marry who you love, but but takes a second and goes, you know, but, but, <laughs> but I'm not a gay person. I'm a straight person, but, you know, but I support everyone else that's doing all this stuff. And, and uh, Lonely Island is so genius about uh, taking that element of the song and basically making it the whole song. Like, what if someone literally every line had to remind everyone that they were straight? And it is it is so good. And that's that's what all these songs are so good at is like picking little parts of of pop music and then blowing them up to a ridiculous level. And this is my number twenty two. It uh, it is one of my favorite movies of the year. It's it's so good. It's so good. And now I'm mad that I didn't find a room for it on my top 15. It, it but. shocked me how good it was. My number nine is The Neon Demon. I saw this and I uh, saw it in theaters and just kind of let the experience uh, wash over me. And I gave it four stars. I uh, really liked it. But you're, you're right, Peter. Like, it has these really slow moments that are very beautiful uh, and then it would hit hard or have these these sudden things. And then the ending just kind of leaves you perplexed in a, in a lot of different ways. And it kind of has like two endings. And both of them are kind of like, what the fuck is this? Uh, and then it just it's, – it's a great example of a movie starting out as like, well, that was pretty good. And then staying with you and staying with you and you just find yourself constantly thinking about it and then the second you're able to like buy it on blu-ray you pick it up so you can watch it again and then you end up going oh now it's on fucking amazon prime uhd and now i'm gonna watch it again see what that looks like it's uhd i want to try it out uh and then you you end up uh, really like just just taking it in as this like amazing experience. It's it's mesmerizing, and uh, the soundtrack kicks fucking ass. Not just a mesmerizing movie stylistically and performance wise. Uh, Ellie Fanning is just amazing in this movie, but also gave gave me a lot to think about uh, in the way that we kind of view these people that are just like in this world to in their mind be beautiful and that's the that's their role and what that does to to everyone around them 
You guys are making me think I should give this movie another shot. I it's a it was a solid two and a half out of five for me. I just couldn't get into it outside of Jenna Maloney. So I'll give it another shot. I, I don't think it's a bad movie. It just maybe wasn't especially for me at the time, but I'll try it again. How's that? Please do. Yeah. It is a <clears throat> it is truly a remarkable film that uh, even the parts of it I didn't like keep challenging me. I'm like, wait, did I actually like that scene, that moment? Like, it, It's just such a challenging movie that can't fit into the traditional boxes. The same thing with Only God Forgives and Valkyrie Rising. Like, trying to fit them into a normal set of conventions is going to make the movie seem like shit. So it's just asking you to go on its hallucinogenic journey. Yeah. Joseph, you're number nine. Number nine is a movie that could be d dismissed as probably just a little bit of a frippery, a little bit of a piece of candy as compared to uh, some of the other movies in my list, but I loved it so. It's Love and Friendship, the Whit Stillman adaptation of a Jane Austen uh, semi-completed novel starring Kate Beckinsale. I adore the living hell out of this movie. Occasionally, you just want a movie that's Kate Beckinsale wandering through British townhouses, giving her acerbic observations while also arranging things to just how she likes it, because life should be just how she likes it, how Lady Susan Vernon likes it. I really adore this movie. It's 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 not as weighty as some of the other movies on my list, but when the movie is so well done like this, I just don't care. It's It's a little gem of a movie. It is literally a movie made for you, Joseph. Pretty yeah, much. yeah, really, really. <laughs> That's made true. for you and Amanda Ludd, I'm pretty sure. Um, yes. That's all I have to say in that movie. It's, it's it's just a funny little gem. Peter, your number nine. My number nine is Tickled, uh, a documentary. Interesting. Huh. It, is a doc it is a documentary that subverted all of my expectations, and it starts off as just this like this cutesy little movie, and it grows into uh, something darker and seedier, and it becomes a film that. Um, has a lot to say with our relationships online and how we relate to one another and blah, blah. It's a, it's a really, really great movie that I kind of thought about for days and days afterwards. If you watch it on HBO Go, HBO has the rights to it right now. If you watch it on HBO Go, there's also a follow-up mini documentary that follows it, which is kind of fun to watch afterwards. Um, because I mean... When the movie was over, I was like, well, yeah, I'm still thinking about this thing. Show me more. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's my one note on it is there is more on HBO Go and HBO, uh, HBO Go and HBO Now uh, for you to enjoy uh, when the movie's over and we can move on. Yeah, I saw that. I really liked it. It's it's near the back third of my list uh, just because I, I don't know. I it it struck me as like, a, oh, that was fucking crazy. All right. Well, moving on. Uh, yeah, which, it did. You know, which which I it. which I enjoyed it, but it didn't. Yeah, it 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 didn't. Like I did the whole uh, obligatory. Like, okay, well, what the fuck happened next? And did the research online. Saw that HBO the mini documentary and watched all that and was like, well, that is a crazy story. I was so um, focused on the narrative of like, okay, well, that's weird. Oh, you know, kind of stuck in that little thing that I wasn't looking at uh, the bigger themes it was trying to uh, emphasize through its use of this story. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 definitely definitely don't spoil the twist for yourself. 
Uh, but it's de- it's definitely worth a watch. All right, Aaron, what's your number eight? My number eight is Hunt for the Wilder People. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, everything you said, Joseph uh, and Peter, it's it's like I, I kind of feel like my movie list this year. And I, I don't want to get too big into like themes. It almost feels like separated by like movies that are warm hugs and movies that are like terrifyingly dark or twisted in some way. And uh, and this this right on schedule, we did Moana, we did the Neon Demon, and now we're at like this warm hug of these kind of like two outcasts that could not be more different and find each other um, through this like adventure in the wilderness uh, while, you know, goofy New Zealand cops are on their trail. And I will note before we move on now that uh, Julian Dennison is a the, the kid. He's really good. He's I don't think so I mentioned good. it before. So good. Joseph, you're number eight. No, you mentioned in your honorable mentions Midnight Special, which is uh, somewhere on my list. It's uh, not that high on my list. I don't think I was quite as high as other people were on it. However, my Jeff Nichols movie number eight is Loving. The story of the of Richard and Mildred Loving, the couple who their uh, eventual Supreme Court case basically uh, dismissed all anti-miscegenation laws in the United States. What I love about this movie is that law case is completely besides the point. Yep. The vast focus of this movie is just Richard and Mildred, and I love it for that. It's a really good movie about these two people who obviously just adore each other. They're two very interestingly people. She's much more outgoing. Richard was much more kind of a withdrawn guy. Not especially withdrawn, but not the kind of guy who, you know, in public would just you know, give huge pieces of affection. There's a very, very crucial point later in the movie where uh, Nick Kroll, playing their main lawyer, uh, asks him, is there anything you want me to tell the Supreme Court? And it's almost like it's being pulled out of him that he tells him the one thing, just tell them that I love my wife. And you can tell this is something that he would ordinarily never tell anyone. Not because yeah. he doesn't believe it, but because this is something he just wouldn't say. Something that's, that's, it's something that's, that's important to him as like a person that's like, but it's private. Like it, it, right. it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. They're, they're very reluctant heroes. Like they, all they want to do is love each other. They don't want to change the law. They don't want to fight the government. But eventually they're just like, well, that's what we are literally being forced to do so that we can live in the same house and raise our child together. Yeah. Uh, and, and they stay reluctant throughout the entire thing. There's not – it's – you're right. The, the way that that whole thing resolves itself and a true story is is wonderful. You don't get the big courtroom scene. You know what? Fuck everyone. Nick Kroll's good in the movie. Peter, your – Number eight. Number eight, Hell or High Water. We already talked about it a little bit, but uh, it is a movie that touched me on every level. It is a really terrific thriller that uh, just understands spatial relationships and these sort of robberies and these sort of con- like shoot em out conflicts. But also, it depicts the American Southwest in a way that I think is not condescending. Uh, and uh, it depicts poor people in a way that I don't think is condescending. It touched me as a brother drama as well, because, like, I don't relate to their relationship on a level with my brother, but just the idea of, like, this, like, relationship, like, you can't give it up. Even, like, even when things are going poor, like, even when things are not going well, like, you can't give it up. Yeah, not on my list. Uh, Loved it. Uh, It's in the 20s somewhere on there. 
And yeah. such visceral action scenes in the bank. It's it's so good. And and all the while you're kind of rooting for them because the reason they're in the situation they are is because of uh, the terrible financial laws that govern our country. So, yeah, but however, um, they're also knocking over small town banks or small town branches and terrorizing people who are just doing their damn job. That movie doesn't well, shy away from that either. Yeah, which exactly. I, which I really appreciate. Yep. Uh, so my number seven is again oscillating between heartwarming and terrifying. Uh, the Witch, which is the best horror movie. Well, I shouldn't say that because I have one that's kind of uh, another one that could be considered a horror movie. Uh, but uh, the we'll say the best pure horror movie I saw in uh, in 2016. Th- we're 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 already starting to get into the 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 realm of movies that it's like, what else do you fucking say about the witch at this point? <laughs> but uh, it is just so well shot, so terrifying. Um, I love the ending so. Uh, much uh, and I, 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 I could read a million more essays about it, like all the different ways that people have interpreted it. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's also on my list. A little bit higher. It's also on my list. It is a movie that I stood up and clapped for, which is something that I. Do you watch it on a screener? <laughs> I watched the screener and I saw it in theaters. Uh, okay, which so which one did you clap for? The screen where I like started clapping when the credits started going, and I never clap in theaters. I think clapping in theaters is generally a terrible idea, and but I just couldn't help myself because it is a movie where at the end of it, I had seen something I had never seen before. It is a movie that I realized that like, oh shit, this is one of the few movies I've seen in recent years where a character's trajectory away from where they start completely checks out with me as like an personal emotional thing like if i were in her shoes her shitty puritanical shoes where she like is wearing a this awful thick woolen clothes and like <laughs> it's like beaten down by her family and society and even her sub society and subculture she's in if i were in that kind of oppression Hell yeah, I do what she did. Like, yeah. That's, oh, I love it. The best animal that's not in the shallows, Black Phillip, the world's most asshole goat. <laughs> and that's coming from the director who said it often, that goat was an asshole. <laughs> well, goats goats are assholes in general. Yes. Yeah, they're grumpy, they're grumpy creatures that greatly resent being put on farms. Yes. <laughs> Joseph, your number seven. Number seven. My number seven, no build-up in here, 20th Century Women. This is a movie that I goddamn love. Yeah, it's really good. It's not my number 19. It took me a long time to get on the Greta Gerwig train, mostly because I was seeing her in Noah Baumbach movies, and I am not a Noah Baumbach fan. Let's just put it that way. I'm not really either, but I loved her in Francis Ha. Francis Ha is a great movie that I... And Greenberg. I didn't really uh, like Greenberg. It was just I, I, Francis Ha. <laughs> I I hate Greenberg. You I'm still need sorry. to see Mistress America, which a year ago I told you guys both to watch, and I bet you guys have not. Nope. Uh, Joseph, do you have a good impression of a cricket right now? Cricket. Cricket. Number three of 2015. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, 20th Century Woman, I think is a, besides Greta Gerwig, I think this is a great movie about the families you build and how... 
people go in and out of your lives sometimes. I mean, it's what's that, it's something like 1979 Santa Barbara, where a single mother played by Adept Benning in her best per- performance in, I think, a decade easily, uh, is her and her son, and she's running a boarding house, and it's just all these people in there, and them being friends and having arguments, and it, it, it almost sounds reductive to try and describe the plot of this movie as she recruits friends and boarders to help raise her son, who's I think like 16, because she feels maybe he needs more than just her. It's it's really a wonderful movie that I love a whole goddamn lot. Peter, your number seven. Number seven, Star Wars The Rogue Ones. Nice. Uh, so this is a movie that is uh, my favorite Star Wars movie since... Empire Strikes Back. Uh, This is my third favorite Star Wars movie. Uh, The way that it is structured sort of as a Dirty Dozen style, like uh, World War II thriller, really unlocks the movie for me. uh, Because it in, in, in many ways feels like the best Star Wars movie ever, and in certain ways fails as a Star Wars movie. Um, It's way more cynical than a lot of other Star Wars movies, especially after the prequels. Like, it feels so much more cynical than the prequels. Um, yeah, it's about like the practicalities of war. Like there's army of there. There's a about the Star War. About the Star War. What's that uh, French movie called? Army of um, not army shadows. Of army of shadows. <laughs> army of darkness is a movie. Uh, the Melville fighting movie. skeletons yeah. in the Middle Ages. Um, <laughs> the chainsaw. It's called Army of Shadows. Uh, it has a uh, lot of to Shadows say about warfare. Where there's char- there's morally compromised characters, and the, the like. The resistance has heavy asks for these characters, and it ultimately turns into a Star Wars movie. It starts off as this like cynical resistance movie, and then all the characters kind of like become inspired to become this like force for good. And it's it's a it's a movie that takes something that I loved as a five, six, seven-year-old and through all my childhood and it just tweaks it in a way that like is exactly what I want new Star Wars movies to be. And Force Awakens is a amazingly confident movie. It's really great. Rogue One, I think, is so much more interesting and personally compelling to me because it does things that I've never seen Star Wars be articulated as, uh, even in the games, even in some of the comics that I've read. Like, Huge fan of Rogue One. Huge. Yeah, I love Rogue One too. It's on my top twenty-five. I think the last forty-five minutes is the best forty-five minute stretch in any Star Wars movie. It is weird to see Star Wars be like incredibly tight and competent again. Like, yeah, it, it is. It weird. is a, I mean, I like. I really like Force Awakens, and um, I think that this movie gets a little too shaggy in the first hour and a half sometimes. But those last forty-five minutes are are like adrenaline and sadness and it, it's it's so fucking good like i yeah i don't even know what else to say about it it's a it's, yeah, it's a good star war it's much further down my list than you guys just because of the difference between oh, the two parts on. of the movie <laughs> that last 45 minutes freaking incredible the first 45 minutes an hour it's it it's good but it's you know it's it's a lot of you setup know, you know, I'm gonna I, say this too. I think for a for a franchise that is amazingly quotable, I think it has the best line in any Star Wars movie, and I feel like 
shivers down my spine every time I hear it. The forces within me. I am one with the force. The force is with me. Yeah. Thank you. It's so fucking good. Uh, my number six, uh, American Honey, the Andrea Arnold movie. Uh, another very long movie that I think about constantly. And it just kind of, it actually started on my list, I think, at number 10 and just keeps going up there. Um, the story of these these teenagers who are uh, living in poverty and they basically get sold by not like a corporation, not like this idea of like they get taken advantage of by, you know, big company or rich people. They basically get taken advantage of and go door to door selling magazines for no money by other poor people who are also trying to figure out a way to make enough money and to go see the country and like experience their their 20s. You know, without means and the way it kind of tells this story of like uh, the the protagonist who is who is uh, it was a first time movie. I'm pulling up the name right now, played by uh, Sasha Lane, where she comes to accept over a long period of time like this, this, this lifestyle and that this is her best option in life. And it, it if we're rotating again, the hugs in this movie, I would call this movie a very depressing hug. But the ending does have a certain sense of triumph in that uh, she fights it the entire movie and eventually accepts it. And even though you can watch this movie and go, well, she shouldn't fucking have to accept that this is, like, her best option in, like, a land of shitty options as it – and you see it, too, because it tours, like – the Midwest and like oil towns and like these towns with 400 people and that you pass and you're like, how do people live in this town? Uh, which, which spoke to me, especially it spends a lot of time in North Dakota, uh, where, which has a ton of these towns and the oil fields and the way that kind of destroyed people and stuff like that. So it is, it is, has one of the best soundtracks of the year. It has great performances. I, I adore this movie. I never saw it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, I had not seen it either, and that is because of my allergic reaction to uh, Shia LaBeouf. He's he's perfect in this movie, though. I don't like Shia LaBeouf. He is playing the exact character that Shia LaBeouf should play. He's dirty. He's greasy. He's the person who, like, tricks the, uh, her into kind of joining it, and then eventually, like, she kind of outgrows. It's it's really good. Joseph, your number six. Number six has already come up in uh, in the mentions today. It is Tower, the documentary about the Austin, uh, pardon me, the University of Texas shootings in uh, 1966 from the tower on the center of the uh, university there in Austin. And uh, we've hashed it out before. I think this is a fantastic documentary. It's very humanistic and it's a, a great amount of research and it's a wonderful set of interviews with people who are involved and I think it's extremely well done, and it just gut punches you. Yeah. Even before you get to the shift in the movie, it's like, oh, my God, because I knew the very bare minimum of this story. Basically, yeah, me guy, too. But guy goes up in the store in the tower and starts shooting. But the whole background of exactly what happened that day in August of 66, it's so well done. I, I love when people start screwing around with documentaries and how they should be done, or pardon me, let me put that in air quotes, how they should be done. And this movie is just a perfect example of screwing around with it and doing it effectively. Yep. Uh, Like I said, uh, one of of the best documentaries of the year. I'd highly recommend everyone watch it. Hey, Peter. Peter, your number six. Uh, The Witch. 
Uh, so we've already talked about uh, why it's so powerful, but one thing I'll say about it as a sort of like a quick thing. Uh, if you were mad that the village had a twist because you were happy about the first half as this like colonial village that's being <laughs> beset by evil. Yeah. The witch makes it all good. The witch yeah, comes no. in and they're like, they're like, hey, guess what, guys? We're going to give you the movie you thought you were getting. <laughs> that's, a gr- that's a great fucking touch point. That's a great, great poll. Yeah. God, I'm, I'm not, so I'm not one with these it. village apologists that are like, actually, the village is good. I hate that movie. Well, the yeah. village, the village, the, well, the village is good, and the twist is obvious from oh. the first five minutes. But anyway, no, I didn't care about the twist. The first yeah, minutes. No. It is a movie that promises something for the first half that is uh, really compelling: porcupine demons besetting a village that has to make a series of offers to these demons to you basically push them off, and then the movie's like. Guess what? What if it's really about 9-11? And you're like, we don't, we don't need that. What ever. if instead of everything that's interesting to you, it's stupid? <laughs> uh, I love you guys. Anyway, what's your number five, Aaron? <laughs> My number five is a little movie called Green Room. Uh, nice. Going right back to the the harrowing experience rotation. Uh, that I, all, all my list is a little bit like, although it's going to change here in the last four. Green Room is so good, uh, and and only seems to it was a movie that I was immediately like, oh, this is going to be in my top ten at the end of the year, and I've seen it a couple times since. It stayed, it's moved up. It's a very strange movie though that only seems to grow in um power as it goes on because the world has changed so much since this movie has been released that uh that watching it in say uh October or November of 2017 is much different than watching it in May of 2016 it was a powerful movie then and it feels even more resonant and uh, vital and current now so i don't want to go I, I don't even know what else to say with it patrick stewart anton yelchin i mean the the whole thing is just like this perfect Perfect, perfect movie. And as someone who like liked the director's previous movie, uh, Blue Ruin, thought it was pretty good and promising, and I wanted to see what he was going to do next. Uh, yeah, what he did next was one of the best movies of 2016. All I will say on Green Room is there is a mini genre of people who could have gotten out of a situation if they hadn't gone back for that one last thing. This is a great damn example of, oh, you guys could have been just fine if you hadn't gone back for that one last thing. Yeah, it is definitely Oof. one of those it is definitely one of those movies where you're like Just leave, just leave, just leave, just leave. Just just leave. leave. Yeah. But you as an audience member know more than they do. They just think they're in another shitty club in a in a backwoods. Like they think it's a little creepier than usual, but they're like, uh, we need to get our shit like they they don't have like the money sitting around for them to buy a new phone. Is that what they go back for? for right. Phone? Yes. Yeah. The phone. They have the yes. one phone. Yeah. Yes. So I don't uh, blame them for going back for it, but it's, you know, it's, it's in that genre. The last thing I'll say about it is my favorite last line of any movie of 2016, which I will not ruin here, but uh, I love that. That is, it is such a great note for that movie to end on. My yes. number uh, five. Number five. Number five is the most tragic romance of 2016, Arrival. Now, Arrival feels like it's just a first contact movie. 
but this is this may be a take that everybody can disagree with on, but I feel like this movie is essentially science fiction trappings around a tragic romance because the romance is doomed from the very beginning and from yeah. the very other side as well because she can see... Uh, okay, hit the spoiler warning here, folks. Uh, fast forward a little bit if you don't want to know. By the end of the movie, she can see forwards and backwards in time because she has learned the alien language enough so she can see the future yep. of her relationship. And... It's so damn tragic if you think through the implications of it, especially with at the beginning of the movie, everybody else assumed we all assumed, right, that the part about her daughter was all in the past, right? Yeah. Yep. Nope. It is all in the future. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's terrible. Yeah. No, uh, Dennis Villanova uh, is one of my favorite filmmakers uh, working right now. Uh, It's it's a great movie. Uh, The fact that it's in my 30s, once again, only speaks to. How great of a year uh, it was. My number five is Silence. Uh, Silence is uh, a movie that surprised me also because uh, I thought it was going to be this slow, uninvolving kind of like rumination on faith, but like in the sense that the movie would have no real like drama to offer. There's a lot of like thriller elements to it, like. As a a movie with perpetual, uh, you know, forward momentum, there are threats that these these guys have to to go past, and while these threats are occurring, they're questioning their own faith, and it's like just a really well rounded movie that what I think a lot of audience passed on because a it's called Silence, b it's about monks, and nobody realized that like it wouldn't just be monks talking in a hut for three hours. And for some reason, I didn't realize it wouldn't be monks talking in a hut for three hours. And then I watched it and I was like, this is one of the most compelling movies I've seen in years. It, it, it finds a subject matter that could be really boring. The idea of faith. Uh, boring on film, excuse me. Obviously, the idea of faith is really interesting in text and conversation and stuff. But in film, sometimes it's hard to depict in a way that's respectful. As an atheist, I found it incredibly compelling. I I saw it recently. It was one of my main catch up ones. I'm I'm a little more conflicted on it than you, Peter. Um, it was well directed. It was very good, but um, it, it had a fundamental problem for me in that I kept the movie wants you to see the um, Andrew Garfield and the and the missionaries as flaw very flawed protagonists, and I kept seeing them as the villains of the movie, and so a lot of the components didn't work for me at that level because I kept to be clear this movie is not like missionaries are good guys uh the Japanese are bad guys at all it is not that at all but it it it, it is it is so clearly a you know Martin Scorsese who has made movies about his faith his entire career uh it's you know it's his like most movie about his own uh conflicting feelings about the Catholic Church but I feel like at the end of the day it came down on um, on a side and painted the Japanese a little bit too villainous uh, for for reasons when it was like, yeah, y- you know, they, they definitely tortured a lot of priests and they killed a lot of them. But that's because knowing as much about um, or knowing what I do about like the church's uh, proselytizing missionary history, it's like, well, yeah, they were trying to pull, you know – basically go around country to country and basically strip away what people believed and 
If they didn't, they would literally slaughter all the native people or kill people that didn't agree. And this is a little bit of like the one area where they got a little bit of their own medicine. Uh, and they were kind of the faith invader, so to speak. And so it was it was really hard to to take the 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 critical part this movie needs you to take, which is to see the Andrew Garfield as horribly misguided but fundamentally good. And I, I entirely disagree, man. I think the movie has I think the entire last like act of, not last act, but like the epilogue of the movie is entirely like enti- the entire Liam Neeson character is about why like. Yeah, it seems horrifying to give up your faith, and like that's what we're asking you to do. But just but but the it. end of the movie when he like when he held on to it his entire life, and he like it it felt to me like it was saying that he had learned something. But I don't know. Are you? But are you? But like, here's the thing: what they did against missionaries was inherently a horrific act, an act of like almost yeah. genocidal proportions and they, what they did against their own people that were Christians was a genocidal act and that they didn't rely on, they had other methods of getting rid of Christians, but they instead chose to perform the most public executions they possibly could. There's a lot of vitriol to be aimed at the Japanese, but I think the movie balances that out by saying like, Yes, like you are you are a subversive force in our country. We've seen what happens with other countries. We're not dummies. I think the movie does what you're asking it to do. Um, it just doesn't do it as heavy handedly as it does the oppression half. I think it comes down too far on the side of these are good people that are learning that maybe their missionary quest was a mistake. But I have such little sympathy for that knowing they're like, well, you should have always known this. Like, I I don't know. Like, again, it also comes from the perspective, may- an old school Catholic perspective that thinks that, like, if you don't find Jesus, you are going to hell. It is coming yeah. from that perspective, not the modern perspective where it's like, well, if you're a good person, you'll get into heaven. It's 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 the old school perspective. Like, you don't find Jesus, yeah. you're going to hell. But they, but, they, but, like but the Catholic Church. I know, but the Catholic Church at that same time that this movie takes place was committing genocide after genocide to make people believe in that. So it was it was really hard to see them as sympathetic characters when they when that same church was literally wiping out indigenous people across the globe in America and South America and in in it's it's the same Inquisition time. So it's it was just. I think it, it was really does that by focusing on two priests who just think they're doing the right thing as opposed to they're not acting as like church officials. The church doesn't really want them to go. The church tries to convince that. Well, the tr- yeah, the, the church, church doesn't want them to go because they're to go. like, yeah, yeah, let's give up again. I gave it I gave it four stars. It's it's not that I don't like the movie, but I, it had a fundamental problem to me viewing the movie. Maybe through a biased lens that is 100% not fair to the movie that made me have trouble elevating it to the greatness level that you see. But I, I it's rare that I will say this because I don't think this happens often. But I think that my own personal biases may be interfering with my ability to fully get on board with the movie. And now I wish I had gotten around to seeing it because I would like to break this tie. <laughs> I think is it a four star movie or is it a five star movie? I think it's a movie you have to see. I I think that it balances the elements well. Uh, Aaron thinks that it comes down too heavily on one side of an argument. Um, and I, it's a movie. Just watch it and 
Tell yeah. us what you think. Okay. My number four is OJ Made in America. Um, Yay! It's so goddamn good. It's it's it is an unbelievable movie that is an eight hour documentary that feels like a movie. Michael Garneri. Uh, and <laughs> on so, on top of that, like it really does, it does not feel like a miniseries, and that's not to. It doesn't feel like a documentary series. It doesn't feel like a, a four part event night. It feels like one giant story. And these the eight hours or six and a half hours or whatever it is is compulsively watchable. It is. It, it does something that I don't think narrative films are uh, – it, it's – I don't think it's it's possible for for narrative films to achieve this level of like six, seven, eight hours of sustained um, – I'm into this. I can spend all day watching. I think narrative movies just have trouble doing that. You get to three hours and you're kind of like wrap up the story and I was in rapture. I watched it all in one day and then a week later watched it all again. And I, right, I, I rewatched it for this, and Jesus, it's yeah, it's it's so damn good from little things. The talking about fifties L.A. or Marsha Clark making yep. sure to get in. What the hell are you doing, guy? About Mark it's, Furman, it's there's so much stuff. Everybody is in it. The only person who isn't interviewed is essentially O.J. Yeah, and he and he's still in there in really interesting, weird clips. The yep. clip that opens this movie with his parole hearing is bizarre. Yeah. And it's and it's somehow it's somehow not only like I said it takes it takes the OJ Simpson trial and puts it in a larger context. That's been that's been talked about a lot and it does and it's amazing. He uses it to talk about uh you know race in in 2016 and 2017 uh in America and it does a great job. What is also amazing is that it somehow sheds a bunch of new light onto a trial that is probably the most well-known trial in American history. Like, yep. beat for beat, people know what happened in that trial, and it somehow makes it compelling, and it somehow adds all this new information that even as someone who is like – you know, 11 years old, but enraptured by everything that was going on and then saw documentaries in the 90s and the 2000s and all this stuff about it still somehow came away, not just like with one moment that was shocking to me, but like 50 moments. Mm-hmm. It, it is it is truly incredible. And if I had seven hours, I would, the second we were done recording, uh, watch the whole thing again. Yep. Absolutely. Joseph, what is your number four? Number four, I feel like we've really gone through this a lot, so I'm just going to say it's Green Room. Green Room is fantastic. Anton Yelchin, between this and uh, Star Trek Beyond and a few other things that year, R.I.P., my God, Yelchin, it kills me that we are going to be missing what you would have done the rest of his life because he's so good in this and the whole band i've known guys who are in bands like this these little scrambling bands that are just going from town to town for essentially gas money hoping against hope that they might get a deal or something or maybe they'll get a little better of a gig and then these guys fall into this terrible situation and it's like oh this is the perfect choice for this kind of uh i call it a siege mentality movie and it's just so fucking well done peter your number four my number four is green room 
<laughs> I had so I had a sneaking suspicion, which is why I didn't let him talk about it because I'm like he's being really quiet. Yeah, Green Room is <clears throat> Green Room is to me the best thriller that we've seen in years. It's the sort of movie that grounds us in a group that we get a sense of what each person is and we care about them on balance, like. It's not just they come in and you're like, well, he gave that guy a bag of chips and she she was having a rough day and he gave her a hug. And like, it's not like that kind of grounding. It's the kind of grounding is like you get to see people bounce off of each other. You get to see people be annoying and still like you care about them like you're they're your friends. And then when the movie decides to become an Assault on Precinct 13 movie, uh, yeah. <laughs> you don't care. You're just like, fuck, yeah, let's. Let's do this. And the fact that they feel so helpless and then gradually become competent people of action is a trajectory that takes a while as it would in real life. But like you believe every step of the way. It's just such a believable movie on every level. Absolutely. Uh, My number three is and I got to say, I feel bad for saying this. Because I know it's going to come up later and I don't want to steal someone's thunder. Uh, but my number three is The Handmaiden. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, my number two. Okay. Uh, the Handmaiden is, um, I think Todd Vander uh, Wolf used to describe Breaking Bad as like so good at its best because it felt like it was this m- precise clockwork universe that had been created and every little thing played into every every other little thing and there was a fascination in watching like basically a master unfold this story at this perfect pace and that is the handmaiden to a t the way it tells its story and then loops back and tells its story again and and changes everything you know while building on the central themes it is a complete masterpiece we might as well skip to my number three because that is also my number three (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's uh handmaiden is my number two but it is uh it is the movie it would be my number one uh except for what my number one is (laughs) and it is a movie that uh satisfies me on every level uh, it satisfies my like historian itch. It satisfies my need for like good character drama. It has a really cathartic ending that kind of brings everything together. At the yep. way, that's the thing about a clockwork movie. A clockwork movie not only has to have all the pieces fit together, but also it needs to come together and like form a purpose. Um, yeah, it needs to get the yeah. it needs to get yeah. the minute hand from the twelve to the back to the twelve. <laughs> yeah, it needs to it needs to like actually be a clock, right? Yeah, um, it, 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 I don't really give a shit uh, if the clockwork uh, makes it so that the clock is always off by a minute, no matter when you set it. Like it, it is, it is a movie that um, fulfills its dramatic purpose uh, through and through, and the structure is tight in a way that like. Honestly, Korean movies are normally not. Um, I'm used to Korean movies being a little bit more unruly in a good way. Like they're they they have a really really long first act, or they have a really really long third act that really drags out the conclusion. Like I'm used to that sort of um, or the tonal shifts. I'm used to like a, a Snowpiercer esque tonal shifts where they're like, wait a minute, is it a comedy now? Um, yeah. <laughs> this movie is just so 
sweetly balanced. It's a it's a symphony of tones and pieces and information, and it's the most it is the most pretty movie of the year, I think, by far. And also the fact that it sustains for like two hours and forty minutes uh, is insane. The way that every piece seems to be perfectly placed and you couldn't take something out for a movie of this length. Normally when you say things like, oh, you couldn't take a moment out, it's perfect. You're talking about like a 90-minute movie, not 160 minutes. What I find fascinating about what, Peter, you were talking about with the pieces is how this is an adaptation of a late 20th century British novel set in Victorian England, adapted for Japanese-occupied Korea which vastly changes the ending from the novel, but it all still works. And that's so goddamn impressive to me. Yeah, this movie, this movie fucks. This is, this is, (laughs) this is just like a good, this is just like a movie that's like alluring in every sense. And also it has one of the, speaking of fucking, it has one of the funniest sex scene camera shots I've ever seen. Oh, Park Chan-wook just has like such a control of the camera that you feel like he was controlling that shot down to the millimeter. Like he was like, he's like, it needs to go... No, just keep keep acting. It needs to go here. It's a very it's a it's it's just a movie that knows what it wants to do in every single moment, and every single moment clicks together like fucking train cars. I love it. Peter, you're number three. Moonlight. Uh Moonlight is number three. Uh it is a movie that I th- I thought that was gonna be your number one, so now I'm actually very curious what your number one is. So I'm also, uh, well, I'm also yeah, so am I. Okay. The mystery, the mystery will resolve itself very quickly. <laughs> number number three is Moonlight. Moonlight is uh, enough has been said about Moonlight, but it is a movie that one thing I'll say about it that I really really love is the way that it is shot. Um, not only does it shoot stuff that you've seen in these sort of urban dramas before in ways you've never seen before, the way it shoots the crack academic, epidemic and the way that it shoots uh, edits that is uh, something that makes it feel alive and terrifying and tragic all over again. It, it's not it's not played for this sort of melodrama. It's played for like, these are lives being destroyed. We're going to tell you exactly how it was, but we're going to show it to you from this character's perspective. But my favorite thing about it is the way that it's shot. It shoots black skin in a way that no movie shoots black skin. A lot of a lot of a lot of uh, filmmakers, or excuse me, a lot of actors, a lot of critics talk about how hard it is sometimes when you're making movies because um, lighting crews are so used to lighting white people, and, yeah. and more pale skinned people, or more fairer skinned people that they don't know how to shoot for black people, and often black people come off as like shadows in the frame. And this movie plays with color and these like deep purples and blacks and browns and it just sort of melds into you as a very like just touching experience like it it, it's something that i think i it feels like almost like pop music as an experience like i feel like i'm bonding with people that i don't normally have a lot of shared experiences with when i'm watching yeah it's uh I'll, i'll segue into it's my it's my number two movie one thing i don't think that gets talked about enough even a year later a lot has been talked about the structure And the way that it's kind of divvied up into these three important stages in this person's life. What I don't think really gets mentioned all that often is that this movie has the catharsis and the emotional high point at the end of its second segment. It's this this story of this this boy 
and then eventually this teenager who has been abused and hurt by most of the people around him his entire life. And then when he gets betrayed by his best friend, that moment where he walks into the classroom and takes the bully, not his best friend, but he's realized he's lost all that and like slams the desk on him mm-hmm. is the catharsis of that movie. That and is that shot fi- is so different from the rest of the movie too. It is. Um, and, and that is the moment where like everything has been building up to – uh, for the last hour and a half that you've seen is that him finally separating himself from this life, the good and the bad. He he puts himself in a situation where he feels like the one thing that's keeping him going, which is relationship, this, this relationship with his schoolmate and his friend throughout his entire life has been ripped away. And the last act, which is like beautiful and heartbreaking, is the epilogue. Like that is what ends up happening. Because we basically see where he ends up in those first two stages, and then it flashes forward ten years, and we don't know this character anymore. He has uh, physically changed. He has um, emotionally changed. This is someone where we never saw any of that. We just know the moment that caused it and that changed everything for him. And this is this is that epilogue. This is his kind of his happy ending after a lev- a life that we don't get we're not clued in on as audience members and we have to surmise from the character we're seeing now to the character we had seen before so that's what i think is the extra layer of genius besides the performances and the cinematography and the soundtrack and everything else that everyone talks about that makes this movie work as well as it does Joseph, your number two. Number two is Moonlight. That was easy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like when this happens. <laughs> yeah, it. Uh, God, I, I, I love it, and I love the three people who play the uh, various ages of uh, uh, what the hell is his name? Chiron. I, I think it. it uh, they look nothing alike, but they look just enough alike, and I think it's fantastic. Yep, Peter, uh, number two. They have been <laughs> easy enough, right? All right. Yeah. Number one, I know what Joseph's is. I'm excited to find out what Peter's is. Just my number one is Pete's Dragon, <laughs> the David Lowry movie. Uh, spoiler really? alert, a David Lowry movie will also be on my probably be on my 2017 list. So I should really see Ain't the Body Saints because the two movies I've seen of his, I think, are masterpieces. So. I agree that Pete's Dragon is a weird choice in a in a year that, for me, to say it's my favorite movie of the year. But besides being very surprising that a remake of a Disney movie that I didn't like back then, that feels like a cash grab on every level, uh, was was this uh, well done? I mean, I, I, I when people ask me, oh, Pete's Dragon was your favorite movie of 2016, I tell them it's, it's a it's like a warm hug. That uh, that just doesn't let go throughout the entire movie. And I've like the feeling of like joy and elation I felt at the end of this is like unrivaled by most movies I've ever seen. And that's all true. So I might as well say it here. But on top of that, it is like this very adult kid movie about I'll spoil the first five minutes like the 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 protagonist kid goes out into the wilderness in the first place and ends up meeting the dragon because his parents die in an automobile accident. So it has all of these themes of uh, loss and depression 
changing your life and adapting to learning to like love again, learning to trust again, all these other things wrapped up in like this Disney uh, CGI movie. It's just it's just amazing. And the dragon itself is so well done, so empathetic. It is like it is like the best dog movie in the world done with a fucking awesome dragon. And uh, it just every single moment, every time it, it you think it's going to end a certain way or, oh, here's where it gets mired in bullshit. It, it surprises you. And I cannot recommend this movie enough. But so it's it is when I say it's a warm hug, it really is a warm hug. It's a bunch okay. of people throughout the entire movie trying to accept this person into their life and is defending him and doing everything they can for him. It's not even so much that he's rejecting it, it's that he doesn't understand that type of emotion and that sort of warmth from other people. So it's it's amazing. I haven't seen it, but <clears throat> the idea that you would rate a uh, children's movie so high is incredibly compelling because I have not seen it yet. It just seems like something that I would love, but I just never got around to it. It's on, it's on Netflix. Again, director, if you saw a ghost story, it, it is like the children's version of ghost story uh, with, with a little more warmth. Gotcha. All right, Joseph, your number one movie. Of 2016. Not a surprise at all. It is OJ Made in America. <laughs> I have been pushing this movie since it came out, and I don't care if anybody thinks this isn't a theatrically released film. Whatever. This movie nails everything. I mean, it. Uh, I can't even talk about how well it's constructed and set up, and it. If, We've we've talked it to death. It's a brilliant movie. Just watch it, people. If you've never seen it, you can get it on DVD or whatever. You can just spread it out over a couple of weeks. Just, God, just watch it, people. It's a great movie. I don't even know what to say about it anymore. I love it. You can spread it out over a couple of weeks, but let me just warn you. You're not going to want to get a sitter, take the afternoon <laughs> off. You're not you, – there's not uh, – the reason it works so well as a movie is there is not a natural breaking point. You just want to keep watching. Right. However, everybody, if you run into a parental content warning about halfway through, this movie is not fucking around. Yeah. Yeah. Peter, I'm so excited to hear what this is. Yeah, what is it, Peter? What's your fucking number one movie of 2016? So, uh, have you heard the expression, this is my design? Uh, maybe from the hit show Hannibal? Yeah. Oh, your favorite 2016 movie is Red Dragon. So I allowed Joseph to go second after you, Aaron, so I could go third, so that I could list my number one last to end the show. I would like this to be the last movie we talk about. And my number one for 2016, because no one can stop me, is Urge. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Joseph, how do you feel about that? Mickey Doe! <laughs> Urge is the best movie of 2016, or maybe every year, because it features a vaping, a vaping Pierce Brosnan. It features just a cavalcade of great scenes. You know, uh, the red bastard is this uh, bulbous freak that comes on stage and announces the apocalypse <laughs> that will come. And that is something that I identify with. I want to be the red bastard for this podcast. Um... 
just so you guys know, the world is ending this year, 2018. And I'm like ushered in with <laughs> the movie Urge. So I, I'm suspicious that this is a put on, or I it's would not. be suspicious. I would be suspicious that it was a put on if we haven't talked about it since uh, we recorded the episode a few times. Where, uh, you know, Peter, one thing that you talk about a lot is like, there's your favorite movies, there's uh, good movies, there's great movies, but you have a different upper echelon that uh, a category of movies that you talk about and you have a word for them. Peter, let's do a little quick, quick quiz of Peter. Peter, what, what is your upper echelon of movie called? We're calling it the Chappie Awards. Uh, no. The Chappies? Pe- no, Peter, we're not you about say it all the time. <laughs> no, when you say that they're evangelical movies. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, edit that out. The, these no, are, these no are even- I'm gonna, I want everyone to know that you know, that I know you better than yourself. Yeah, uh, these are a- evangelical movies. These are movies that I didn't bug anybody to watch Silence. I didn't bug anybody to watch Hell or High Water. I told multiple people... There's a movie on Amazon Prime just waiting for you, and it is going to change your life. It's going to be the best movie you've ever seen. It's going to maybe ruin your life. I didn't say for the better. And this is a movie that I shared with a lot of people, more so than any movie on those list. So I feel like it deserves that number one spot. Well, that is the best movies of 2016. Uh, also, I do appreciate- also, Peter's movie. Yeah, I do. I do appreciate that Peter also accidentally worked in a plug for our show so if you're like listening to this and are like what the fuck is urge great news we recorded an entire episode on it <laughs> uh it's 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 a really insane movie um i'm not gonna give it like i don't know the handmaiden status but but you Better know what peter and moonlight i would say but but peter i i appreciate that you uh are willing to lose uh fans uh, and listeners to this podcast. Listen, I have convictions, and they will not be drowned out by I don't want to stifle popular your urges. consensus. I'm not going to go off meta scores, people. Okay, I'm not going to go off Rotten Tomatoes scores here. All right. I I can also say that uh, you probably also just rated number one because it was 82 minutes, and you're uh, like, let me just sort these by length. <laughs> yeah, uh, Silence would be number 15. <laughs> that or worst of the year. Lights Out might be number two, actually, if I sorted them by length. Last five minutes feel like uh, eight years of yeah. Lights Out. Uh, so anyway, so thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, we've talked for three hours. This will probably get edited down to an hour and 45 minutes. Uh, this was this was so much fun. And you know what? It's nice to not have to watch a movie occasionally to prepare for the show. Instead, just watch an entire year's worth of movies. Mm. So what a nice change of pace joseph thank you again for joining us thank Uh, you we'll be back in 2018 as long as we do this you're you're a boy you're a boy for these joseph (laughs) thank you guys very much for having me just make sure if i disagree with and (laughs) yeah uh so thank you guys so much for listening we're excited to have another year uh doing the podcast with you guys and get to our months uh proper next week so we'll see you at the movies, <laughs> I guess. I guess twenty eighteen is not twenty eighteen is not the year that we stopped doing awkward endings. Twenty eighteen is the year where the apparently the copyright on "We'll See You at the Movies" expires. 
<laughs> we just get to. Have I mean, it. that's just a common saying. You can say that to people. Okay. Okay. We'll see you out there at the old cinema. <laughs> I say that to my pro officer all the time. Thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we've got just a few quick announcements for you. There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to talk to us, uh, tell us we're stupid, tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch or our website, wltwpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, we don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available, if you don't use iTunes, we're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, TuneIn. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again... Above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.